0: This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield.
1: Hello and welcome to the latest podcast from the Blood Red channel. I'm Matt Addison and we've got something slightly different for you in the works today. Look back at a transfer that never was. Wind back to 2018 and Liverpool spent more in the transfer market than they ever had done before. Backed in part by the 143 pounds deal that saw Felipe Coutinho move to Barcelona six months earlier, Though 75 million of that had, of course, been spent on Virgil van Dyck. Liverpool then went and bought Alisson Becker, Fabinho, Nabi Keita, and Zerden Shakiri for a combined total of around 170 million. But they could very easily have spent another £52 million, pounds, considering, of course, they had been minutes away from signing French attacking midfielder Nabil Fakir. The then-Leon Mann had everything in place for a transfer to happen, and he'd even done the signing-on video with Liverpool's in-house media team. But then news of a knee problem arrived, and the deal was called off. Liverpool didn't move for an alternative number 10, and in fact, they've never consistently played with one since. Talk of a Coutinho replacement continues, but Liverpool have since moved down a very different tactical path, all because this transfer deal collapsed at the 11th hour. To get the lowdown on Fakir's transfer that never was, and what's happened to him and Liverpool since, I'll soon be joined by Christian Walsh, who was working as a journalist for the Echo at the time. Then Spanish football writer Andrew Miller, who specialises in Real Batiste, the club that Fakir plays for now. And finally, Jonathan Johnson, a French football expert, to get the view from Lyon. Enjoy.
0: The Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
1: I'm joined first by Christian Walsh, who was working on the Echo Sports Desk at the time that the deal broke down. And Christian, it must have been a really weird transfer to cover. It was so close to being done, but then it was off.
2: Yeah, I think what people forget about the Fakir deal is that it was a bit of a saga before it turned into the saga that we're talking about now. Uh, there have been weeks of back and forth. Um, Jean-Michel Aulas, the, the, the Lyon president, he's obviously notorious for, for the way he conducts business very publicly you know, it was becoming a real sort of tug of war between the player. Uh, we knew about his the, well the interest in, in Fakir um, for, for quite a while before, um, but then uh, as things do sometimes with transfers, it seems to click. Everything seemed to be um, ready. Um, everything was agreed, and as you say, very very, very strange. Um, simply because I've never really been involved in a in a in a football transfer where. It's it's broken down at the very very last minute. I mean, we've all seen the, the pictures that have been leaked. We've all, um, you know, heard the stories about how close he was to actually being unveiled as a Liverpool player. You know, for all intents and purposes, we had stories and contents and back pages ready to go to herald them as as, as Liverpool's you know new new sign the, the Coutinho replacement that they've been after for six months. All of that kind of uh, all of that kind of thing, and for it to to break down in such spectacular fashion out of the blue. Um, it happened on a Saturday night, and it came from uh, Leon uh, on an official statement on their website. Completely flummoxed Liverpool, completely flummoxed us as journalists. No, no problem holding my hands up with, with, with that one. Um, and, and, and from there, it was just very much, a, well, what's happened? Why has this happened? What's next? And it was, as you say, very, very
1: strange. Uh, very strange time for Liverpool. I think it's really interesting as well because Liverpool have moved in a completely different direction, almost by accident, really. They don't really have a number 10 anymore. They didn't sign anybody in his place. We praise Liverpool so much for being so meticulous with their planning, but this was just kind of just completely by chance, really.
2: Absolutely. It's, it's interesting to, to to think about how the team would have been with Fakir uh, compared to what happened without him. I think the, probably the, the closest comparison of a player who who was subsequently joined Liverpool is probably Shaqiri left footers could potentially play central, but even then, it it never really felt like that was what Liverpool were going for with Fakir. It always felt like Fakir was a was very much a the the, the newest member of the Fab Four with Mane, Salah, and and Firmino. So it's interesting to, to think about what it would have looked like. I think it's 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 an interesting angle to to think about. You know, maybe Keso would have been a brand new sign in there as well. How does he fit in? With with N- Nabil Fekir, what does that midfield look like? Does Fabinho come in? Um, we, he well he was already in. So is it is it a, F- a Fabinho Fekir, um, maybe Kasey midfield? You know what does that mean for Jordan Henderson? Where does Alex Oxlade Chamberlain, of course, recovering from his his, uh, his knee injury still, and he will do for the rest of that campaign. But where where does he fit into this? Um, then you've got James Milner. So it's 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 very very interesting. Um, because he was seen as a traditional number ten there were you know whispers that he could have been of number eight for Liverpool in the in the wine album another name I've forgotten of course how can you forget Genie? but you know the whispers he could be like that there were whispers he could potentially play as a false nine um, and be a bit of a backup for Firmino that he could do something out wide so I think his versatility was interesting it would have been a it's an interesting experiment really of what would have happened if he would have joined if Liverpool would have transitioned into the team that they were because i think if if you think back to the 17-18 season very much a team who um you know could play on the counter attack they broke with pace um i think that's why we saw to be honest alex oxley chamberlain do so well up until his injury um so it's 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 an interesting
1: sort of viewpoint on, on how Fiki would have actually fit in there. And in terms of the price as well, I mean fifty-two million—that would have made him pretty much the joint third highest transfer Liverpool have ever made. I mean, this was one that they'd really gone all in for because Liverpool don't do that particularly frequently. Absolutely, um, they, they'd obviously decided that they were going to strengthen,
2: given what had happened in the season before, um, and and they, yeah, as you say, they they, they went for it. Um, but in true Liverpool fashion, they um, similar to what happened with Van Dijk, for example, they didn't get their man. They'd identified this, this this player as somebody who could do a particular function for them. They were never going to go for the next best thing. They essentially moved on. They I, I, I don't feel like they reinvested the money that summer. Um, I think there was still a lot of clamour around, well, what's going to happen now? Who's going to replace Philip Coutinho? You still haven't replaced them. Why is this happening? Um, and so, for for Keir to sort of just be gone, um, that that left a you know a sort of a fifty million pounds hole, in, well, not a hole in the pocket, but essentially still burning in the back pocket. So yeah, it it it, it sort of was a, a testament of how Liverpool did business. Very similar to when they couldn't get Van Dyke or well, it you know spectacularly collapsed in the in the summer of twenty seventeen. They didn't panic. They didn't. Go out and spend forty million on a player who wasn't really suited to them. They essentially bided their time, and 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 and, and probably what they then decided was that the, the solution wasn't to, to throw that money at a player of a substandard level, but it was essentially to slightly tweak what they were doing, change the way that they played, and probably led to the team that we we sort of fell in love with over the over the past couple of seasons. So it is a very Surreal sliding doors moment for Liverpool. And and to be honest, a, a period of them, you think about, you know, Julian Brandt instead of Mohamed Salah, um, you, you think of what happens if if Van Dijk does fall through and and they never get of Van Dijk. You think about Loris Karius in, in in Kiev, and if that means that you know, Alison Becker ends up coming that summer, it it, it is a team that has been built, um, you know, fantastically well, but it's it's certainly not been without its uh, its potential pitfalls in in that building. So. Um, yeah, another one to, to, to write down as a, a sliding doors moment, which Liverpool arguably, given how Fakir has done since, he's doing okay, of course. Um, first at Leon and then uh, Betis, but you know Liverpool have certainly come out the better uh, of that deal, given that the were European champions and Premier League champions within twenty four months.
0: The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
1: Well, the transfer that never was for Liverpool a year later, Fakir moved to Real Betis for around seventeen million pounds, about a third of the money the Reds were set to part with. My next guest, Andrew Miller, covers the La Liga side, and he gave me the lowdown on how Fakir has been getting on in Spain.
0: Overall, he's been one of the best players in the squad easily for the last two seasons. You know, I think you know he has an ability to you know, sometimes it feels like just flip a switch um, and, and sort of take over a game. You know, like very few players in the league really have. Um, and of course, that's been a huge boost to Betis. I think on the other hand, sometimes it can feel, you know, at times like he's maybe trying to force it a little too much, you know, trying to take on three or four defenders at any one time, you know, eventually losing possession, which is you know, particularly detrimental to a squad like Betis, who are um, very susceptible on the counter. But, you know, he also has a tendency to to hit shots from distance, you know, if things aren't quite going his way, which, which can be sometimes a gift or a curse. You know, he has a... He has a fantastic uh, left foot, as obviously Leon fans will know, and, he, and he's proven that, you know, he does have an ability to score from those spots. But more often than not, you know, it'll go wide or over the bar, and, and sometimes it feels like a bit of a wasted opportunity. Um, you know, he struggled a little bit at the start of the season, um, but I think he ended up being one of the biggest factors in better securing um Europa League football this year. So, you know, he's definitely still capable of stepping up in the key moments. Um, I'd say overall, you know, he's he's done about as well as expected. Um there are obviously a number of, of sort of external factors that can influence a player's performance. You know, La Liga was a new environment for him. It was a new a new country, a new language, a new squad, you know, a new playing style. Um and an inconsistent one at that, you know, this is this is now his third manager in two years. So, you know, I think it, it potentially would have been unrealistic to think that he could come in and, you know, immediately hit that same level that he did at Leon. Um, but you know, you can definitely still see that, that there's a world class player in there somewhere.
1: How much excitement was there when he signed for Betis? I mean, he was obviously so close to that Liverpool move. Did that sort of increase the the feeling within the fans that they'd got a, a really top player here?
0: Yeah, of course, you know, uh, you know, he he was and he still is a big name in European football and I think, you know, when a club in the position of Betis at that time can pull off a deal for, you know, a world cup winner and arguably the prime years of his career, you know, injury or no injury or no injury. Sorry. Um know it's something that's guaranteed to get the fans going you know he joined at a really interesting time the club were going through a a pretty huge transition after you know recently having sat kiki city they spent a huge amount of money on on signing borja Glacies from espanyol they just hired ruby um who was you know this exciting and -and up-and-coming manager in spanish football and it felt like a big statement of intent at the club um you know they were no longer going to settle for always being perceived as the kind of underachievers in seville um, and, you know, that was the deal that moved the needle for them. And, of course, you know, it brought a huge amount of optimism and excitement around it. You know, any player linked with the likes of Liverpool and Arsenal. And, you know, he was linked with Real Madrid and Barcelona at the time as well. And, you know, and then he shows up at, at Real Betis. It's you know it's something the fans can really, really get behind, of course.
1: Has there been any sort of signs of those underlying injury issues? That was obviously the reason the deal broke down. But it, it doesn't look like it's it's really been too bad for him.
0: No, you know he's, he he's had a couple of muscular problems, but but nothing in comparison to his time at Leon. You know, I think, you know, if I'm not mistaken, off the top of my head, um, he's missed maybe ten or eleven games. And, and of course, the biggest factor in that move to Liverpool, breaking down um, in 2019, was the ongoing concern around his knee and um, obviously the ACL injury that he sustained. You know, five or six years ago now, um, doesn't seem to really have bothered him since moving to Spain. You know, his hamstrings has kept him out here and there, but. You know, really he's had a, a relatively clear bill of health um over the last two seasons. And you know, of course it's rare to find the footballer nowadays that doesn't miss a handful of games for whatever reason. And, you know, I'd say Figure falls into that category. You know, he's not he's not, I wouldn't say he's injury prone, um, but obviously he's not perfect. Um, you know, as I say off the top of my head, I think maybe ten or eleven games in the last two seasons he's missed, which is is perfectly acceptable. Um, you know, Betis do have a very successful and reputable medical team, I would say. Um, particularly in rehabilit- rehabilitating players that have gone through a more serious injury something like an ACL. Um, so I think that's obviously been a big help to him and you know the club haven't haven't you know needed to rush him back. they have been careful um, to try not to re-aggravate any injuries um, that he does sustain. so I would definitely say you know the, the concerns that Liverpool had previously and probably other clubs had as well um, you know looking back at the last two seasons I would say that's that's probably cleared up a fair amount of, of concern.
1: You mentioned Real Madrid and, and Barcelona were interested. Obviously, the reason we're sort of doing the podcast is because yeah. Liverpool were as well. But to end up then at, at Real Betis, it's it's not quite the, the same level of club, yeah. I think it's, it's fair to say. I mean, was it just a case of, of them seeing an opportunity? It was, I think, 17 million or, or so Liverpool had agreed, 52 million. Was it just an opportunity for them to get a player that maybe they wouldn't have ordinarily been able to get?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there was a few elements that factored into the move. You know, Betis had, had just recently bought and sold Giovanni Lo Celso. You know, in the space of one season, they, they turned a huge profit on him. Um, and I think they probably viewed Nabil Fakir as a candidate to do something similar. You know, they they knew he was highly coveted by a lot of big clubs. As you say, you know, Liverpool, um, a lot of clubs in the Premier League, Real Madrid, Barcelona. You know, they knew his time at Lyon was over. They obviously saw an opportunity there to get him for a lower price and, you know, they knew that they could very much put him in the shop window potentially for a m- bigger move down the line. Um, and I think from the player side, you know, he saw the Liverpool move break down very publicly. Um, and I think, you know, no matter how much self-confidence or self-belief you have, you know, that that that's of course is going to have an effect on your mentality. So I think potentially the prospect of moving to to one of the best-supported clubs in a top, you know, three or four league, depending on your perception. Um, you know, it was a good way for him to hit the refresh button. You know, he knew he would be still playing against the likes of Real Madrid, Barcelona, Atleti, Sevilla, um, and you know he'd have a chance to show them that he was still a player um, that can perform at the highest level. And you know, I think there was probably an element of proving anyone wrong. I um, doubted him as well, but of course, you know, it, it was a it was a surprise to see him move to the club. But I think it was a good opportunity to, for both sides to to sort of mutually benefit from that.
1: Was there any sort of risk at all, do you think, with that transfer? I mean, I assume 17 million, even though it was, you know, a third or so of, of what the player was valued a little bit earlier in his career. I mean, was there still a bit of a risk? Because I suppose that's still probably quite a big sort of transfer fee for, for Betis to, to put down.
0: Yeah, of course. And, and you know, especially given the chequered injured history from Leon, there, there, of course, was going to be an inherent amount of risk on the club side. They do tend to be quite a careful club when it comes to finance um especially in you know recent years when harrow and the new board took charge but you know this move was the the fourth largest in the club's you know what, 100 year history so um you know immediately there's going to be a huge amount of pressure to ensure that they can make a return on that investment both on a performance level and on a ter- sort of return on investment financial level um you know they paid 28 million euros for Borja iglesias in the same month so um, you know straight away the club put themselves under massive pressure to make sure that they could perform on the pitch um it was the highest you know highest individual spending transfer window they'd ever had so the guys like you know nabu fakir and Borja Iglesias you know straight away there's a huge amount of pressure there so you know of course you know any any transfer is, is going to be a risk but you know if you really put yourself outside of your comfort zone and um and break a transfer you know policy that tends to be quite careful then you know of course there's going to be a huge amount of risk there
1: is he a player that they've kind of built around? Is is he the, the sort of number ten, the, the key creator within the betters team at this moment?
0: Yeah, he's he's definitely the kind of driving force um creatively and in the attack. Positionally, it's, it's probably been you know 50-50 either as a number ten through the middle or out on the right hand side. Um certainly his first season under Ruby, you know, he started most games on the right hand side of a sort of attacking midfield three. Um he tended to cut inside, he had sort of freedoms roam across the line in behind the striker, but you know, Betis tend to stick to a sort of one they They've got very, very high pressing wing backs. So usually, when he's deployed further out wide, it sort of increases his defensive responsibility. Which often last season it felt at times like it was really limiting his impact on the game. You know, he was he was further out of the action. He was having to cover for the wing backs when they were pushing forward. This season, it's been a little bit different. Um, Manuel Pellegrini's given him a little bit more freedom to express himself. I think more similar to his role at Lyon and, and with France. Um, you know he's got a really good relationship with Betis's best player and Sergio Canales. They're they're both sort of natural number tens, you know. But they have this this almost synergy that you know they're comfortable switching sides. They they create little pockets with space for one another. Um, they've got a nice give and go in the final third, and, and I think Ficu's really started to sort of flourish and benefit from that space that creates. Um, something he maybe didn't quite have as much last season. Um, Canales was playing in a, in a deeper midfield role last season, so he was a bit more out of the. Um, the creative side of it, but you know, he, he he tends to be a, a comfortable player um, in sort of any role they put him in. You know, they, they haven't done it very often, but he has moved up front a couple of times as well. And I know he had, he had done that for, for Leon previously. And, you know, they've tried it a couple of times late in games and he's done well. So, you know, the versatility side of it is, is certainly something that will attract um, other clubs and bigger clubs. And, and obviously would have been something that attracted the likes of Liverpool previously as well. That you know, he does have an ability to play in, in, a, in a multitude of positions.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was linked with with Arsenal just a couple of months yeah. or so ago. Do you think there's any sort of chance that that he might leave Betis, and and would the Premier League suit him? Do you think? Obviously, Liverpool were interested, so they thought he probably would. But do you reckon that's a move that that could happen at some point?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it sort of felt, you know, from day one that he was he wasn't going to be here for the long term. That it, that it probably would have been a, a sort of shorter term move. Um, and I think for the right price, you know, Betis would be open to selling him. Um, you know, of course, they've they've just secured um, a Europa League group stage spot this season. So, you know, keeping hold of the best players has, has been one of the sort of focal points um, in the recruitment strategy this season. But you know, they're a realistic club. They know that he was never going to be there for the long term. They know that he had aspirations of moving to to a bigger club or a bigger lead, bigger league. Um, you know, Betis had discussions with Barcelona last January um, before they signed Martin Brathway, They were looking for an emergency signing. Um, he couldn't come to an agreement, but that was more down to the sort of financial mess that Barcelona um, were and are still in. But, you know, I would say if he doesn't move this summer, I would probably expect um, this upcoming season to be his last with Betis. You know, as I say, he has huge aspirations of playing in the Premier League. I don't think the club would stand in his way if the right offer came in. You know, the style suits him. He's he's incredibly technically gifted. He's not afraid of a physical battle. He likes to sort of get down and dirty in the... In the you know getting forward and and battling defenders and things so i think testing himself in a place like england and you know obviously a huge club like arsenal that have such a a sort of rich history with french players in particular it's always going to be an attractive prospect for him
1: yeah absolutely andrew miller spanish football writer thanks so much for your time no problem thanks for having me on that
0: the blood red podcast from the liverpool echo
1: And I'm joined last but not least by French football journalist Jonathan Johnson to get the view from France on the transfer move for Nabil Fakir that never was. Jonathan, how good was Nabil Fakir and how close do we think he was to to sort of signing for Liverpool and, and making that transfer?
3: Well, Fakir was always a player with a massive amount of talent. Obviously, it's a shame what's happened to him over the years through injury. Uh, But, you know, he is somebody who was of interest to a lot of the top clubs across Europe. Uh, And there was a time uh, where I was approached by Liverpool to talk about the player with a a proposed move in the offing, uh, you know, which obviously never came to fruition
1: yeah i mean in terms of the sort of position of the player he was kind of a number 10 really for for leon did he play anywhere else because we haven't really seen liverpool play with a number 10 since that deal broke down
3: yeah i mean you've seen him play across the you know pretty much everywhere across the attack but number 10 was you know his real preferred uh position he wasn't uh sort of as versatile as a Hussein Awa who can sort of play in central midfield when he's motivated. Uh, you know, Fekir was sort of exclusively an attacking player. Uh, and although you could, uh, you know, coax some good things out of him when you played him wide, you know, I think he always needed that license to roam uh, in the middle and, you know, was very much uh, a number 10 player.
1: Liverpool don't tend to spend huge amounts of money on transfers, you know, of late. They've spent sort of 30 to 40 million quite frequently, but not really too often more than that. I mean, this was going to be a a £52 million transfer, which is, it would have been the the joint third highest transfer that Liverpool had ever made. I mean, was he worthy of of that sort of fee, do you think? And and were Liverpool right to to be looking at him and, and thinking of him in that kind of bracket?
3: I think without taking into uh, account the concerns over over his injuries particularly his knee uh, you know he was in, in terms of his talent you know he was definitely worthy of that that sort of price tag uh, just unfortunately you know when you have those serious concerns uh, about a player injury wise you know it's it's then very difficult to justify that sort of uh, expenditure I mean especially now you know any sort of player with even half of the, the the injury concerns that a player like Fakir has, you know, clubs would be pulling the plug on on that sort of deal. So for for Liverpool to look at it even back then, uh, you know, to come so close to completing it uh, and then to decide actually we're not quite sure if he's going to be able to handle the rigors uh, of, of Premier League and Champions League football on a regular basis, uh, you know that 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 was quite a call uh, because there were a lot of clubs interested in him at that time, but. I would also say that Liverpool losing interest or that deal falling apart, uh, you know, also caused a lot of clubs across Europe to, uh, you know, think twice uh, about making a move for Fekir. And with all due respect to Real Betis, uh, a, a club who plays some fantastic football, that's why they were able to land uh, somebody off Fekir's talent.
1: I mentioned before that Liverpool didn't sign another number ten. They haven't signed another number ten since. I mean. What does that say to you do you think does it say that Fakir was just such a a good fit and a good level that that Liverpool decided to go for him and there wasn't really anybody else out there that they thought was was similarly worthwhile going for or do you think it was just pure chance that you know the the deal broke down they've decided to go a a different way with that system and and formation
3: yeah very possibly you know it could be that there was a a change in tack in terms of the the tactical Uh, it could also be that they just felt that he was such a unique talent. Uh, you know, they, there were very few sort of real out and out number 10s, uh, you know, in the game, although fewer and fewer now. Uh, and, you know, Fakir, on his day when he's fit and in form, it, it is one of those players. So I think it was definitely the opportunity to, to, to land somebody like him. I mean, Leon, there are. Big, big club uh, in France, but obviously they've been up against it the last few years, particularly as PSG have been so dominant domestically. You know, Lille have have encouraged uh, the domestic competition with last season's title win. But, uh, you know, Lyon still sell uh, a lot of their top uh, youth academy talent. So when somebody, uh, you know, that gifted, that technically brilliant comes through the ranks, uh, it's normal that so many European clubs are interested in potentially signing him up. And I think it was just the fact that he was such a a, a gifted player uh, in such a a unique position, uh, you know, and it was really an an opportunity that couldn't be refused until they were made aware of uh, his injury record.
1: I mean, there was some quotes from him recently about the Liverpool move breaking down. He said, if you surround yourself with the wrong people, it comes off badly on you. I mean, there has been some suggestion that maybe it wasn't just the injury problem that put Liverpool off. Do you have any idea if there was maybe some other reason that that possibly the the deal broke down? Because I mean, just looking at those comments, it it seems slightly odd that it would just be the injuries and and then he'd come out and, and say something along those lines.
3: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that the injury aspect of it was played up a lot. Uh, you know, I, I've seen moves go ahead uh, for players with bigger injury histories than than Nabyu Fekir. Uh, but there's also been questions asked in the past about the entourages of some of the players who... Have come through the ranks um, at Lyon. I mean, it's not exclusive to Lyon. You know, there's a lot of players who have come through various clubs. I mean, look at Adrian Rabiot, for example, coming through uh, at PSG. Everybody's spoken a lot about his mother's role in his career. And, you know, people thought it would go away when he moved to Juventus. And then, you know, just last week, it kind of flared up again with France exiting Euro 2020 and his mum playing quite a vocal role in the, in the stands. So, you know, I definitely think that this is something that we have seen before and probably will see again uh, in French football where, you know, the people surrounding Fakir, uh, you know, were not necessarily the kind of people that a big European club like Liverpool would necessarily want to get involved in. You know, Karim Benzema has been in major trouble in the past uh, because of people that he's been associated with growing up in Lyon. Uh, similar has been said of Hussein Aura as well. Uh, and the the mental impact that, that those people around him have had uh, in the wake of a, of, a, of a big transfer deal falling through.
1: And in terms of the injuries itself, if we assume there's at least an element of, of truth in that side of it, was there a history of injuries at Leon? And uh, it doesn't seem to me like since he's gone to Real Betis, there's been a lot of injuries. It, it kind of felt like it was a risk that, that Liverpool didn't feel they could take, but maybe if they had have taken it, it would have been all right.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, like I said earlier, I think that the injury side of things was really played up a lot. Uh, you know, there's always been question marks about his consistency, uh, discipline as well. You know, he is prone to picking up cards. Uh, you know, but I think it's that capricious uh, nature of his his form. Uh, you know, that will be one of the biggest uh, turnoffs. And I think when people saw, uh, you know, how he pretty much down tools uh, when when moves in the past have of, of, of not you know come off uh, that's that that's definitely a big alarm bell uh, you know for for some big european clubs and perhaps it was a combination of all of that uh, you know that prompted liverpool to to pull the plug so so late in the day
1: And just finally then, I mean, Fekir would have been pretty much the like-for-like replacement for Felipe Coutinho, who'd obviously gone to Barcelona. I mean, those would have been pretty big boots to fill. He's maybe not quite lived up to expectations whilst he's been in Spain. Do you think he would have been capable of replacing Coutinho had Liverpool got that transfer right if, if they'd have gone for it?
3: I think there would have definitely been days where people would feel like they'd found the right replacement I'm just not sure that he would have been able to perform at the consistent level that would have been expected of him. You know, I have doubts that he would have relished the physicality of the Premier League and the speed of the game. I, I actually think that you know, had he really thought more about the move, and you know, had a lot of interest not been killed off uh, with that Liverpool move falling through, that actually perhaps a slower uh, European league like in Italy might have suited him better. Uh, you know, because it puts less uh, emphasis on those physical sides of the game uh, and would allow him to to delve more into the technical side of his game in you know which he is extremely gifted at. Uh, so obviously things haven't worked out quite as hoped uh, with Betis, but also at the same time, you know Betis now under Memoir Pellegrini is sort of coming into a new uh, a, a new era. Uh, you know they're they're looking to get themselves back into on to the towards the top reaches of the European game, and perhaps Fekir can can play a part of that. Just the frustrating thing and you know, it was the same for Leon fans, it'll be the same for Betis fans now, is that he is not a player, you know, who you can guarantee to get eight out of 10 top quality performances out of. It's more sort of a four out of 10, five out of 10,
1: uh, you know, best case scenario. Yeah, absolutely. One that we'll always look back on and wonder what if it had happened, but of course it didn't. Jonathan Johnson, thank you very much for your time. I won't keep you any longer, but really appreciate your insight there. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Interesting stuff. Well it just goes to show that even when it looks like it's completely done you do need to wait for that Melwood lean or Kirby lean as it would be these days. Nabil Fakir was the man who nearly signed for Liverpool and how differently things might have panned out since then had he signed we can only speculate. What we do know is that Liverpool's formation and their style would have been completely different and it just goes to show really that even at a club as well run and as thorough as Liverpool sometimes the best plans are those that come about completely by accident that's all we've got time for here though on the latest blood red podcast thanks to all of my guests for their brilliant insight and thanks to you of course too for watching and for listening until next time though i've been matt addison and it's goodbye for now
2: you've been
0: listening to the blood red podcast from the liverpool echo